you got your Bibles, open them up to 2 Samuel chapter 3. 2 Samuel chapter 3. We're making our way through the books of First and Second Samuel. This is a fascinating chapter. As I read it the first time through, I'm going, whoa, how am I going to handle this one? Some kind of crazy historical stuff. Also, if you don't have a Bible, Tom's passing some out, and, and that's yours to keep if you need it. And anyone else? 2 Samuel chapter 3. So King Saul, we've learned, was killed in the battle. His days were numbered, and everybody knew it. And this chapter, well, it's kind of about knowing and doing. You can know something, but if it doesn't cause you to do something about it, you might get in trouble. Well, let's see what they knew. The prophet Samuel shared this. Saul, your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Saul himself confessed to David, And now I know indeed that you, David, shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. And the heir to the throne, Jonathan, Saul's son, knew. And he, Jonathan, said to David, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Even my father, Saul, knows that. And the captain of Saul's army, Abner, knew. Second Samuel 3, 9 and 10. May God do so to Abner and more so More also, if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn to him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan to Beersheba. In other words, all Israel, all 12 tribes. Fact is, everybody knew. They knew God's will. They knew God's heart. But most of Israel found themselves fighting against God's will and fighting against God's heart. And 2 Samuel 3 gives us the description of this battle. So let's jump in and look. 2 Samuel 3, verse 1. And now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David Whoa, stop right in the middle of that verse. Let's talk about this chapter a little bit and talk about what might the Lord want us to learn from this chapter. Uh, A well-known Bible teacher, Alan Redpath, 
puts it this way. And I think what he's describing is a Saul heart. A Saul heart. In the lives of many Christian people today, there's, there is raging literally a civil war. The flesh, the kingdom of Saul struggles with the spirit. The kingdom of David. And the conflict is bitter. We do everything we possibly can to hold up the tottering kingdom of self so that it might exist just a bit longer. And we go on. If only we could preserve some rights. If only we could have at least part of our own way. If only we could keep this or that at any cost. We feel we must bolster up the kingdom of self that we cannot let ourselves be crucified. With Christ. So, this is a bitter conflict that we're going to look at this morning. It's between Saul's kingdom, and that's 11 tribes of Israel, most of Israel, and David's single tribe of Judah, and it's going to rage on and hurt many people. So, we go on with verse 1, right in the middle, and then the rest of the verse. But during this time, David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. So the house of David loved God after God's heart, wanting to obey his will, wanting to obey his heart. David, of course, you remember, was anointed by the Lord to be the king. The house of Saul was fighting against what God wanted. Well, no wonder David grew stronger and Saul, the house of Saul, grew weaker. And the background is this. At this time, David has been made king over Judah, one tribe in Israel. At war against Abner, the commander of Saul's army of Israel and the household of Saul, The battle's raging. Saul's forces, they're growing weaker. David's forces growing stronger and stronger. As Alan Redpath shared with us, his spiritual picture. Saul is a symbol of walking in the flesh, of knowing God's will, but fighting it. A symbol of of walking in the spirit is David. Not perfect, but he had a heart for God. The same is true of us. If we choose to walk in the flesh apart from God, we'll grow weaker and weaker. If we have a David heart, and though struggling and not perfect, Lord, I want to do your will. Lord, I want to follow you. And the influence of God's spirit will begin to grow within our hearts and will become stronger and stronger. As we desire, as I thought about this, to walk in the spirit like David, sure, there's going to be setbacks along the way, defeats we have on certain days. But as you will take a look back at, and chart the course that the Lord is taking you on, you'll see that Philippians 1.6, he 
he who has begun a good work in you is indeed being faithful to complete it. Amen? And John 4.4, you'll experience that the one who resides in you is greater than the one who's coming after you in this world. And even though you might have discouraging days, you can be sure in your heart and life, David will become stronger and stronger and Saul weaker and weaker. So as we move on in this chapter, starting in verse 2, verses 2 through 5, we're going to look at a description of part of David's walk. And this was fascinating to me that the Lord put it in this chapter at this place. And I think it's to remind us how much David needed you and how much we need the Lord in this world that we live in. So let's look at these verses. Verse 2. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon by Ahioam, the Jezreelitess. His second, Chelub, by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. The third, Absalom, the son of Mahakah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. The fourth, verse 4, Adonijah, the son of Hagah, the fifth, Shephathiah, the son of Abital, and the sixth, Ithrim, by David's wife, Eglah. These were born to David in Hebron. So, we'll find out that David's going to end up with eight wives, 19 sons, and we're told of one daughter that he has. And you're going, whoa, time out, time out. What is going on here? This can't be David walking in the spirit. What's he thinking? And you know what? You're right. This is a picture of David's choice to ignore God's word and be tempted to follow the ways of this world. Are you sure? Absolutely. Let's look at God's word. David knew God's word. Genesis 2.24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they, a man, a woman, they shall become one flesh. And Jesus talked about this verse. He said in Matthew 19, And he, Jesus, answered and said, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, not two or three or four or five or eight, plus David, but the two shall be one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And just in case David wasn't paying attention, the Lord says, well, let me speak specifically to the king that I will call over my people. Deuteronomy 17, 17. 
neither shall he, the king God sets over you, multiply wives for himself, like the kingdoms around him, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he be great, nor shall he greatly multiply silver or gold for himself. And as we look at this account of David, some wonder why the Bible just doesn't expressly say what David did here is just wrong. It's not God's will. It's not what the Lord had for him. But as is often the case, the scripture simply describes the facts and the Lord expects his people to read the whole account and find out for themselves what happens when you begin to ignore his word like David was doing. You see, as we go through this account in 2 Samuel, we'll see how David will reap the penalty for this failure of his, and his family will suffer, and his nation will suffer. And the Lord expects us, his people, to read his word and to learn from his word, not just David's success, but learn from David's failures as well. You see, heartbreak, sorrow, struggles await David, his family, and his people. And as we make our way through we're going to see it's never a good idea to ignore God's will or his word. And in your notes, look at number one if you'd like to take notes. Never confuse God's patience, his patience with us as we're moving through this world for his pleasure with our choices when we're not careful to put into practice the things that we know the Lord would have us to do in his word. And we don't know why David chose to ignore God's word. We, he wishes he wouldn't have. We wish he wouldn't have. Maybe it was the political pressure or the power that he began to feel and taking a wife to seal a treaty with another kingdom like all the other kingdoms were doing? We don't know. Maybe it was just the personal status that he began to hold important. You see, kings of David's world would take multiple wives to demonstrate their power, their glory, their wealth. Or maybe it was simply giving in to personal pleasure and saying, well, after all, this is what kings do. <laughs> we don't know. But always know this. God's word is always for you. And sin is called sin not because God says it's sin, but sin is called sin because God knows it's going to ultimately hurt you. And you won't end up doing well. God's word is always for our own good. And Jesus simply puts it this way. And I love 
what Jesus said in John 14, 15. He just simply says, if you've fallen in love with me, if you follow me, then obey. Obey my commands. Obey my word. Obey the word. He's the living word. And he's saying, trust me. Put your trust in me. And your notes number two. If you love Jesus with his help, then make that choice to follow him. Choose to trust in his wisdom for your life, no matter what the world is doing around you, no matter what the world says, oh, that's okay, oh, you need to this and that. There's a whole list of things that the world, and the list is getting bigger, that the world says, it really doesn't matter that much. God's word, eh, it's archaic. We don't need to follow those directions anymore. Don't let the world take you there. Trust the Savior who loved you so much, just as you were. Oh, I was yet a sinner and far from God and unable to even, though I tried to follow him, unable to. That was when he loved me and died for me. And now that I belong to him, the Bible says, much more he loves you and he loves me. Well, back to the kingdom of Saul fighting the kingdom of David. The war rages. Verse 6, verses 6 through 8 and further. Now it was so that while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner, and he's the commander of Saul's troops, was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aah, and Ishbosheth said to Abner, who's Ishbosheth? Do you remember? Who was one of Saul's son, who Abner pushed onto the throne against God's will for Israel. So Abner's made a power play there, and now he's continuing to make a, pl- a power play in Israel. Then Abner became, oh, he said to, to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? And that was a picture of someone who would take someone else's concubine or wife and take hold and say, I'm going to take their place. I'm going to take Saul's place in this kingdom. So he's being challenged in his power play. Then Abner became very angry at the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? Today I show, I show loyalty to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers, his friends, and I haven't delivered you into the hand of David. And the idea is, if it wasn't for me, your kingdom would already be over. And you charge me today with a fault concerning this woman. 
things will never go well when the flesh is in charge of a kingdom. Your kingdom of your life, your family, whatever it might be, things never go well in Saul's house. Walking in the flesh always brings strife, always brings problems, always. So we go on, verse 9. May God do so to Abner and more also if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn to him. Yeah, he knew exactly what the Lord's will was, but he was fighting it up to this time for his own reasons, his own power, his own glory. To transfer, verse 10, the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. In other words, the whole nation of Israel, all 12 tribes. Abner's so angry, he jumps sides. I don't in any way, shape, or form think it's because he's wanting to do God's will. I think it's just another political power play on Abner's part. Verse 11 and following. And he could not answer Abner another word because he feared him, the commander of the army. Then Abner sent messengers on behalf of to David saying, whose, whose is the land? Saying also, Make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. Verse 13, and David said, good. I will make a covenant with you, the one thing I require of you. You shall not see my face until you first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, and when you come to see my face. Verse 14, so David sent messengers to Isboseth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife, Michal, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, uh, Paltiel, the son of Laish. Are you kidding me? The last thing David needs is another wife. <laughs> well, verse 16. Then her husband went along with her to Baharam, weeping behind her. And the commander of the army said to him, Abner said to him, return. <laughs> He's probably holding a sword in his hand. You will return. <laughs> so he returned. Now Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, in time past, you were seeking for David to be king over you. Verse 18. You might underline this first part of the verse. So now then, do it. You knew it was God's will. You considered it. Just do it. We'll get back to that a little bit later. For the Lord, Abner says, the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David will I save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all their enemies. Abner knew 
They all knew the Lord's will, but not enough to know God's word unless you begin to surrender to God's word. That's what makes the difference. Verse 19, And Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin. Then Abner also went to speak in the hearing of David in Hebron and all that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron. And David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. Verse 21, then Abner said to David, I will arise and go and gather all Israel to my Lord the king that they may make a covenant with you and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away and he went in peace. David knew, of course, that he was anointed to be king He was God's choice to be king over all Israel. And it's been years and years have gone by since that had happened. And I love the way David has waited upon the Lord. And even at this point in time, David never moved an inch to accomplish this in his own strength. He's waited And the Lord's perfect time has finally come. David was willing to show Abner, the commander of the army that was fighting fiercely against him. He was willing to show mercy and grace and forgiveness. It brings a time of peace to God's people. I think of Romans chapter 12, verse 18 and 19. Do all you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave, it, leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. This is one area that David was good at trusting the Lord in. However, this time of peace we'll find is short-lived. Look at verse 22. At that moment, the servants of David and Joab, Joab is David's commander of the army, came from a raid and brought much spoil with them, but Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the troops that were with him had come, they told Joab saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king and he sent him away and he's gone in peace. The war's over. David's made peace with this man and with Israel. And Joab, verse 24, came to the king and said, what have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away and he's already gone? Surely you realize that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you to know you're going out and you're coming in and to know all that you are doing. No way you can trust this guy. Verse 26, And when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner. He says, hey, wait a minute. I want to tell you a little more about this peace treaty that King David 
signed with you. And who brought him back from the well of Sarah. But David didn't know anything about it. David did not know it. David's unaware. And I believe that David's commander is motivated by vengeance because Abner had killed his brother Ashael in battle. And also he's motivated by desire. I got to hang on to my position. If we can't have two commanders of the army, it's not going to work that way. And I'm going to make sure there's only one guy that's going to be the commander, and that's me. So he goes after Abner, verse 27. And when Abner had returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately and there stabbed him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Ashael, his brother. Afterward, when David heard it, he said, my kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord forever for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner, let it rest on the head of Joab and on his father's house and let there never fail to be in the house of Joab one who has a discharge or a leper or leans on a staff crippled or falls by the sword who lacks or who lacks bread. Notice David does utter a curse. He lets him know, I don't appreciate what you've done. But all David musters is words. For the first time, we see another dangerous tendency in David. It will haunt him for the rest of his days and leadership. He fails to hold accountable the people around him. He should have, at the very least, demoted Joab, taken his position away from him. But he didn't. Verse 30 and following. So Joab and Abishai, uh, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed their brother, Ashael, at Gibeon in the battle. And then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes, gird yourselves with sackcloth, and mourn for Abner. And the king followed the coffin. It was a royal possession and a national mourning and funeral for this commander. Verse 32, So they buried Abner in Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king sang a lament over Abner and said, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound nor your feet put in fetters, as a man falls before wicked men, so you fall, so you fell. Then all the people wept over him, verse 35. And when all the people came to persuade David to eat food while it was still day, David took an oath, saying, God do so to me, more also if I taste bread or anything, until the sun goes down. Now all the people, they're looking at David, and they took note, and it pleased them since whatever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's intent to kill Abner, the son of Ner. Then the king said to his servants, 
Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I am weak today, though anointed king, and these men, the sons of Zariah, are too harsh for me. The Lord shall repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. So as we wrap up this chapter, just a couple things to note. This good, the people said, we like David. We like the way he follows the Lord. We like his heart. He's a man of compassion and forgiveness and grace and mercy. This is the kind of man that we can follow. And think about David. Though flawed, as we saw early in the chapter, ignoring parts of God's word, David was truly, as 1 Samuel 13, 14 says, a man after God's own heart. And because he was a man after God's own heart, though flawed, his heart overflowed with the wisdom of Psalms, Proverbs 24, 17. Do not gloat when your enemy falls, when he stumbles. Do not let your heart rejoice. This is how David reacted to the death of Saul and to the assassination of the commander, Abner. In your notes, look at the last note, number three. Learn from David. Learn to live under the power and leading of God's spirit. And you'll grow stronger and stronger. Worship team, come on up. Galatians 5. I'm going to start with verse 25. Because we know that we live in the spirit. And the Bible says, okay, you know this. You know that's where our life comes from. So now do it. <laughs> Walk in the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control. There's no law against that. Such good stuff God wants to bring into our hearts and lives. And then it closes like this. And those who are Christ's, have crucified the flesh and its passions and its desires. Okay, take your notes. Go back to where we started. Alan Redpath's notes. As you read through that, you go, whoa, fighting God's word and God's will, that, that's a Saul heart. Is that the kind of heart you want? I want a David heart. I need a David heart. I am so far from perfect. I fall in so many ways. Oh, how I need the Lord for my life, for my family. How I want the Lord. So look back at verse 18. The one thing that this commander had to say that really makes sense. Verse 18 says, okay, now you know it. You know what to do. So do it. What are you waiting for? You see, knowing and doing are two 
completely different things. Choose to walk in the Spirit. Choose to surrender to the point of, Lord, I want, I want my old life to be completely crucified with Christ. I just want the new life that you have for me. For I want to grow stronger and stronger in Jesus. Amen?